if we have some gaps in our intestinal wall, these bigger proteins, these bigger molecules, these bigger fats, carbs, whatever, you name it, can then get into our blood. And no, they're not supposed to be that big in our bloodstream. They're supposed to be smaller. They're supposed to be broken down. They're supposed to be digested. But if they get in in these bigger molecules, that sends the alarm to our immune system and flag all of these things as you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be in the blood. We need to attack you and we need to put you away. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Fitness Lying Down podcast. It is once again Megan the Trainer, registered dietitian, coming at you today for a nutrition podcast. So today I am flying solo with our conversation. Well, not necessarily a conversation. It's a one-sided conversation with me, myself, and I. So you get to have a backseat ride with me. Today's topic is going to be about digestion. I see a lot of clients who have questions regarding digestion. What ways can they support their digestion? Maybe they're having some issues with it. So we're going to go over some nutritional implications. We will go over some anatomy, physiology, kind of digestion 101 things. I'll talk a little bit about leaky gut. We'll talk about some troubleshooting like fiber, water, stress, inflammation. We'll talk about probiotics, prebiotics. Um, we'll kind of hit on a, a good old broad smattering when it comes to all things digestion and absorption. Now, before I get into some of these topics, I do just want to add, if you have further questions on this, I'm not going to really go into quite a deep dive in this podcast. I'm hopefully just going to let you get your feet wet a little bit. But if you have deeper questions, um, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I am happy to help in whatever way that I can. So we're going to begin from the beginning. What a fine place to start. So when it comes to digestion, digestion actually begins even before we start eating food. It starts when we begin to think about food, when we smell food, when we anticipate a meal coming. So realistically, digestion is going to start in our brain. How cool is that? So it's not usually what we think of in terms of like, oh, it's going to begin in our stomach when we start eating foods. Like, yeah, sure, some can probably start there. Um, But realistically, if we look at the big picture of what is digestion, it starts in the brain. So again, as I mentioned, when we think about food, when we smell food, we might not think that this has a whole lot of an impact, but just those few things, those few pieces of input can actually start Um, some really important processes in terms of like getting digestive juices ready and kind of just preparing our bodies for food. So if you want to get really fancy, this is called the cephalic phase. Cephalic meaning, you know, dealing with your brain. And this is, again, a really important phase. So I always like to share with clients like the analogy of whenever we are grilling or cooking at our house, Taz, when he smells it, he starts drooling. So that is, again, the cephalic phase, um, how digestion starts in our brain. Now, obviously, we might not be drooling and salivating at the mouth quite to the extent, but in theory, that's kind of the emphasis here. And so why is this kind of an important thing to mark or to note is that sometimes we don't always give our bodies 
time to think and be prepared before we're going to eat. We just scarf down food and we move on to the next thing. But this is still, again, this is a really important phase where we can allow some of those things to start happening. So that way, further down the line in digestion, as we will get into shortly, you can be set up for success. So again, digestion starts in your noggin. Then what happens next? So moving down, we've got our mouth. That's kind of the next phase. So I guess I should back up. Digestion is a north to south process. It has to start at the top. So that's kind of, again, why we're starting at the top. So again, back to your mouth. This is where chewing is going to happen, where we have our tongue with our taste buds. So we're going to taste our food and that's going to give us some feedback. Chewing is really, really important. And I don't think, again, a lot of people give it as much merit as it needs because this is the first phase of digestion. This is the first bit of mechanical digestion, to be specific, where we are physically breaking down, grinding up, making our food smaller. Because again, a piece of pizza is not useful to your body as a piece of pizza. We need to break it down. We need to get it to those smaller units, so that way we can actually send it off to where it needs to be in your body and used for whatever purposes it needs. So chewing, again, if we are not spending enough time chewing our food, then we're essentially kind of setting ourselves up for failure. And it's kind of a disservice from a digestion standpoint, because then your stomach has to work harder, which means everything else has to work harder. So chewing your food is going to be really important. Slowing down, taking some time. And again, we have taste buds in our mouth also for a reason. Yes, we do need to eat food to satisfy nutritional needs. And we need calories, we need carbs, we need protein, we need micronutrients. But at the same time, we as a species have also evolved to keep our taste buds. So it's meant to be enjoyable. So spend some time really enjoying your food. Savor those bites. Really allow yourself permission to, you know, again, enjoy your food. So that's kind of the next phase is, again, chewing in our mouth. Next, as we kind of work down, again, that north to south, um, what am I looking for? What is the word? Diagram. If we're working back down in that north to south kind of diagram of, you know, the human body, Next, we're going to be getting into our esophagus. Not a whole lot really happens here. This is more of just a tube to connect our mouth to our stomach. So again, it's important to chew your food so that way not these big chunks are passing down through your esophagus. But then finally, at the bottom of our esophagus, we meet the stomach. So now some more mechanical digestion takes place here with our stomach churning up our food and mixing it around but this is where we also start some of the the heavy chemical digestion i think everybody is very familiar with uh, stomach acids so hydrochloric acid this is one of the main digestive juices if you will that is in our stomach and now this chemical is super important not only from just breaking our food down into those smaller pieces from a digestion standpoint but everything that goes into our food tube is essentially this is kind of a dangerous act in theory um, if you think about it because we're taking something that's outside of our body and we are bringing it to be very internal we're bringing this literally inside the middlest parts of your body and so this can be 
again, a dangerous event because maybe we take in something that has a pathogen or a virus or a bug of some kind. And so we need to have some frontline um, immune system support. And essentially, hydrochloric acid kind of serves as that. It kind of kills off anything if we happen to take something in. So that's why, again, our stomach acid is going to be important. Now, we also need stomach acid to help break down our um, nutrients. So we need it specifically for iron and B12. So if we don't have enough, then we might not be able to properly absorb iron and B12. Um, and if we can't break these proteins down and break some of the molecules down appropriately, then that means that we can't absorb them. And so again, we need to have everything broken down. Again, circling back to that piece of pizza. It's not helpful as pepperoni pizza. We need it in those carbs, proteins, fats, etc. And stomach acid is kind of that starting point. First line of defense. There's a bunch of other different enzymes, different juices that come into play, of course, when it comes to chemical digestion that happen in our stomach. There's different hormones, um, just like gastrin, and again, those enzymes like lactase. So if you've ever heard of anybody who's lactose intolerant, that means that they don't have that enzyme lactase, so they can't break down lactose. Enzymes are kind of like little scissors that can snip things up. So we need all of these things to help break down our food. Sometimes some people might have a deficiency. So again, lactose intolerance, maybe you're missing that enzyme. And of course on the food or on the food market, on the supplement market, we can go out and we can buy some of these enzymes or we can take um, kind of a, a generic supplement that has a whole slew of different enzymes in it. And I would just be mindful and be cautious if you're going to do that. Just make sure that you're really, really ruling out that you do have an enzyme problem. Digestion is not really a realm to kind of play around and mess around with. Um, this is some really important stuff about taking in our food, breaking it down so that way our body can actually use these nutrients. Okay, so that is our stomach. Next on the list, we have our small intestines. And so with our small intestines, the big thing here is a lot more absorption is going to be taking place. Not quite as much digestion. There still is a little bit. Um, we get some other enzymes and things coming into the in the beginning of our small intestines. But the main thing that happens in our intestines, both small and large, is absorption. So we've broken our food down. We've taken it into these small pieces, and now we're going to take it out of our food tube and send it into our bloodstream where it needs to go. So the thing to consider here is the lining of our intestines, the lining of our gut is one cell thick, which is not very thick at all. One layer of bricks, essentially. Now, this is important because we want to make sure that we are able to get those nutrients across that um, that barrier, if you will. So that way it can get right into our bloodstream. And then again, it can get sent to our muscles, can get sent to our nerves, wherever it needs to go. But the issue comes into play with if your food choices maybe lean more on a lot of refined carbohydrates, a lot of added sugars, a lot of inflammatory oils, that can damage our intestinal lining. And again, it's only one cell thick, so it's not like we have more intestinal cells on the flip side to kind of help fill in. 
So what happens then is leaky gut. So sometimes when people hear leaky gut, they think that we have like feces just floating around inside our abdomen. That's not, that's not what's happening. This is on a much, much, much smaller scale of things. So the issue with leaky gut, well, there's a lot of issues with leaky gut that we'll kind of unpack. So again, we need to get these nutrients into our blood. If we have some gaps in our intestinal wall and we have this leaky gut, these bigger proteins, these bigger molecules, these bigger fats, carbs, whatever, you name it, can then get into our blood. And no, they're not supposed to be that big in our bloodstream. They're supposed to be smaller. They're supposed to be broken down. They're supposed to be digested. But if they get in in these bigger molecules, that sends the alarm to our immune system. And so then our immune system will go around and tag and flag all of these things as you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be in the blood. We need to attack you and we need to put you away. Now this can be sometimes connected to some different autoimmune diseases because again, this is essentially your body attacking itself because it thinks itself is a danger to itself. <laughs> That's kind of how autoimmunity works. But with leaky gut, we're getting things from our food that, you know, aren't either being broken down appropriately or we don't have that intestinal um, integrity. So now they're getting into our bloodstream. So this is where widespread inflammation, chronic inflammation can come into play. So our gut barrier is super important from an inflammation standpoint. This is also then going to connect to different food allergies and intolerances. So for some people, you might have a full-on genetic predisposition for having an, an allergy or an intolerance. So that's a completely different metabolic, physiologic, biological pathway that happens. But for some people, it could also just be that these proteins are getting into your blood and then therefore your body's attacking it. So anytime you eat it, now your body's going to attack it again. So this is where sometimes we can either outgrow or we can kind of work through allergies and intolerances. So if you've ever seen anybody who's done that, that is still a possibility. And of course, this is kind of a case-by-case -case situation. So don't feel like if you have issues with gluten that you can magically cure yourself. Maybe you can. I don't know. It kind of depends on what's all going on in there. So that is kind of in a nutshell of leaky gut. In terms of supporting your body, if you have leaky gut or if you have a lot of GI distress going on, it kind of is going to be a two-fold approach because we need to both turn off the faucet and we need to plug the drain. So that's kind of my analogy anyway. So we need to stop sending the inflammatory, the irritant, the allergenic foods down, okay? That's where we're turning off the faucet because if we keep them coming back in, it's just kind of like perpetual road rash on your intestines, which, um, ouch, that does not feel good. And then two, we need to plug the drain. So now we need to find ways to support your intestinal lining. There are some key um, like amino acids and some supplements that you can take. I'm not going to get into too much detail here um, just because this isn't something that we want to just kind of self-diagnose and always self-treat. Um, I mean, obviously, there's plenty of things out there for you to do your own research, but things like bone broth, collagen, um, that's all going to be super supportive and super healing to your intestinal lining. Now, as we also kind of talk about the health of your intestines, so again, that's from like a leaky gut perspective, one of the other big things that typically comes up in conversation from a gut health, digestion, you name it kind of realm is fiber. 
everybody talks about fiber, fiber from your food, taking Metamucil or any other, you know, fiber supplement that's out there. Now, why, why do we need fiber? Fiber can help us in a couple of different realms. And again, from a digestion perspective specifically, this is more so for proper maintenance of our GI tract, of our food tube, if you will. So it can help with pulling water in to help soften our stool. It can help give our stool some bulk. So kind of depending on which case you're falling in, whether it's constipation or diarrhea, different fibers might be more helpful to you in that case. And again, fiber can help just keep our GI system regular. That is important. Our whole GI system itself, the food tube, is also an exit pathway. So not only is it just whatever's left over from our food that's getting exited out, but there's different things that dump into that. So it's really important that you are staying regular. Woohoo! We talk about food at the beginning and at the end. Who would have thunk that talking about nutrition, you'd also talk about poop? Anyway... So fiber, again, is going to help essentially just clean out our food tube. And so we want to get, for females, the recommendation is usually between like 25, 30 grams, and then for men, like 30, 35. Um, But I usually just say like around 30 grams, if we can be getting that daily, that's at least a good start. Now, for some people, they might feel better with more. Um, And again, that's going to be totally individualized. Now, if you feel like fiber is definitely an area of opportunity for you, please, 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 please go slow as you add more fiber. So kind of increase your fiber intake over a couple of days, maybe even over a week. Otherwise, you might experience some GI distress. And that is no bueno. So that is kind of fiber in a little bit of a nutshell. Um, So some food sources of fiber, there's kind of a whole variety of them. Typically, our fruits and vegetables and whole grains are going to be kind of our big key players. Um, And so, again, when it comes to fruits and vegetables, we're thinking about things that have, you know, like a tougher skin. Usually that's going to be a little more insoluble fiber, meaning it's just not going to break down in water or it's not going to dissolve in water. Soluble fiber means that it is going to break down in water. So we see this in um, like oatmeal, for example when it gets a little bit softer and a little bit more mushy. Um, Some other examples of fiber are also going to be like any legumes, so beans, chickpeas, regular peas, like green peas. Um, Those are also kind of a part of the legume family. Um, And some easy ways or suggestions that I usually give clients on capitalizing on fiber without feeling like you have to completely rechange your menu is adding more chia seeds or ground flax seeds. Um, They kind of pack a big punch. So it's an easy way to get a good amount of fiber coming in without changing a whole lot. Add them into yogurt, add them into smoothies, um, add them with some granola. Or make like some little oatmeal balls and then you put them in there. So so that is fiber. Something else that's going to be really important from an overall digestion support is hydration. Hydration because we now need everything to be smoothly passing through. If we don't have a whole lot of water, it's kind of like a lot of pebbles passing through our digestive tract. And one, that's not comfortable. And two, um, that could also damage some of our intestinal lining, which we already talked about with leaky gut things. So we want to make sure that we're staying adequately hydrated. And now this isn't just saying drink a gallon of water at the end of the day because you didn't drink enough. This needs to be a consistent thing all throughout the day. So that's where we want to make sure that we're drinking enough water, yes, but also intermittently throughout the day. 
Um, the other big thing that can impact our digestion that's not necessarily from a food standpoint is going to be stress. And now I'm sure as everybody's probably doing a little eye roll, like, oh boy, here we go. Talking about stress again. Stress is so bad for you. Stress, stress, stress. I can't do anything about it. Blah, blah, blah. So from a digestion standpoint, stress is going to heavily impact your digestion. We either have our our two kind of modes in our body are sympathetic or parasympathetic. So we have our stressed response and we have our relaxed response, the fight or flight or rest and digest. So it's right there in the name, rest and digest. If we are trying to run away from something, again, thinking back, you know, from our caveman days, if you will, if we need to run away from a lion, tiger, or bear, oh my, we... Our body does not prioritize breaking food down. That's why sometimes if you get nervous or if you're a little stressed out before maybe a big event or before a speech, sometimes you get the nervous poops and you have to go to the bathroom right away. And that is essentially your body's stress response. It's like, we got to vacate. We got to get all this stuff out of here. We don't want to have any extra baggage if we need to run or fight. That's kind of where that is coming from. So in theory, This is extremely helpful in those acute settings. However, when we have this chronic stress that we experience in our everyday life where it's all day, every day, we're getting these little pings of stress, your body is not able to shift into that rest and digest mode and it's not going to prioritize proper breakdown or proper absorption of your nutrients. Because again, it's in this stressed state. More often than not, If you're experiencing some issues with digestion, regardless of where it's kind of happening, chances are it might be connected to stress. There might be some underlying thing having to do with stress and stress management or stress sources. Maybe we need to eliminate some of those. I once had a client um, come in and see me for a session and she had some questions about maybe going dairy-free, gluten-free. She was thinking she might have some allergies, some kind of a a negative response with certain foods. And she wanted some more insight on how to go about an elimination diet and how to better support the symptoms that she was experiencing. And so, yes, we can, of course, eliminate foods that might be triggersome to our digestive tract. And that's a totally appropriate path to go down. But at the same time, as she was kind of telling me about what her usual day looked like, what her meals looked like, what the environment of her meals were. So, yes, we talk about what you're literally eating, but also are you eating in the car? Are you eating over your lunch break? Are you not eating breakfast because you have, you know, all of your kids to get out of the door and to school right away? Um... So we kind of unpacked her a day in the life of her. And one thing that I had suggested, and now again, this isn't to say that nobody has any allergies with food, but let's change up the environment of when you're going to eat. Let's slow things down. Let's let your body get into that rest and digest mode. Let's let your body trigger that cephalic phase where we can think about food, smell food, and get your body ready for food. If we can just slow everything down, savor your food when you eat it, chew it appropriately, and give it the amount of rest, essentially, that it needs during those mealtimes, let's just see what happens. 
Because if you do that and you still experience the same things, let's keep a little food log. Let's see if you can identify any connections with some foods that you're eating and some symptoms that you have. And so that was kind of our plan. So we met for our follow-up session and she was like, I changed nothing from a food perspective. I changed the environment and I feel so much better. Now, when it comes to digestion things, I am going to bring up the analogy of horses and zebras. If you hear hoofbeats, what is this saying? Like, if you hear hoofbeats, assume horses. Don't assume zebras. So that's kind of the approach that I take, especially when it comes from a digestion standpoint. Let's back way up. Let's go to the basics. If you do the basics and you have those locked in and you're still not experiencing anything, or experiencing any change, then let's look into some of those zebra pathways. Because sometimes I feel like it's the thing that happens in our social media, um, in our just our culture in general, where we're always looking for the zebra. I'm deficient in this one explicit enzyme and I have to take the supplement four times a day and you know I can't eat this food after sunset or you know what I'm talking about. You probably have heard some people or maybe you feel this way yourself. Now, This isn't to say that if that is working for you, you need to stop doing it. If that works for you, then congratulations. That is excellent. But sometimes we can do all these things and still not, we can do all these zebra things, I guess I should say, and still not feel any success. I like to start with the low hanging fruit. Let's just clean everything up. Let's focus on, again, your food environment. Let's make sure you're getting enough fiber. Let's make sure you're staying hydrated. Let's see what we can do about your stress. The other thing that's going to come into play from a food perspective and from the basic standpoint is variety. We need a variety of food coming in, not only because we need a variety of nutrients, yes, but from a digestion standpoint, this is going to be helpful for our gut microbiome. Oh, I'm like salivating at the mouth. I love, 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 love talking about the gut microbiome. I love reading, learning about the gut microbiome, I guess I should say. Um, so with our gut microbiome, this is now, this usually it's just housed a little bit more in our large intestines from an anatomical perspective. We have bacteria, viruses, pathogens, fungi, you name it. We have it all over our body. I don't even know what the statistic is, but I think on our body we are more those cells than we are human cells, which I think is just crazy. But we have a lot of these gut bugs in our large intestines. And now again, sometimes people are like, ah, gross, I need to, you know, take like some antibiotics. I need to, you know, clean out my system. Like they can make you sick. Like no way, Jose. Now here's the thing. We actually do need them. There are good gut bugs. And of course there are bad gut bugs, but we need to have a better ratio of again, those good to bad. So when it comes to variety coming in from our food, the more variety we can get, the more diverse our gut microbiome is going to be. And this is important because we want to have a diverse gut microbiome. This is going to be the thing that will help give you the most bang for your buck from a health perspective. Also from a digestion perspective. So these gut bugs aren't just here like waiting to make you sick, so to say, but some of them can help break down your food further and then therefore we can get more nutrients from them. Some of them break down our food and they use it and then they make waste products that are a benefit to our body. Some of them can actually help restore our gut lining. Um, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I'll save that one for another day. 
So these gut bugs can be super, super helpful. Now, of course, we can get them in an imbalance, and this is not fun. This does not feel good. If you're somebody who's maybe had a lot of infections, was on a lot of um, antibiotics lately, sometimes we have to clear out some of the good with the bad. So probiotics. You've probably heard of probiotics, prebiotics. Probiotics, because there's an O in it. This is usually how I explain it because how it makes the most sense to me. There's an O in pro for organism. This is the literal organism. These are the lactobacillus strains. Um, so pro-organism. Prebiotics, because they have an E in there. These are the things that they eat. So the probiotics eat the prebiotics. There's a whole slew laundry list of what are pro or what are prebiotics. From a general overview perspective, typically fiber is going to be our big example of prebiotics. So there's a couple of different sources that we can get can get from food. There's some that we can get in supplements. I mean, all of them, I guess, technically we get from food. I should back up. But prebiotics, here's some examples. Chicory root, dandelion greens, artichoke, garlic, onions, leeks, anything kind of that allium, allium, however you pronounce it, um, family. Um, asparagus, bananas. There's a lot of prebiotic fiber in our food. And this is where, again, that variety comes into play. Because some of our gut bugs are like little piggies and they'll just kind of eat anything and everything. Some of them are a little more picky. So that's where, again, this variety comes into play. The other thing with the variety is if we can get more color coming into all of these color pigments or all of the the compounds that make the pigment essentially can also be really helpful um, for our gut bugs. So that's kind of the difference between probiotics and prebiotics. The next question that I usually see from clients are what are food examples of probiotics, the actual organisms? Because I'm sure we're all familiar that we can take them in a supplement form, and you can. Um, but examples of probiotic food sources, this is where we have cultured dairy products. So like yogurt, um, cottage cheese, kefir. And this is also where different fermented foods can come into play. So sauerkraut, kimchi, and um, kombucha. So those are just some different examples of probiotics. So if we can be including these somewhere during your diet, during the day, during the week, we can be getting them all from good quality food sources. Now, if you want to take a supplement of probiotics, Again, I just more so just issue some caution um, because, again, our, our gut microbiome is kind of always in like a delicate balance. So the analogy that I often use with clients, um, here comes another analogy, queen of analogies over here, is that our gut microbiome is kind of like a neighborhood. So I guess I should back up. Would you voluntarily live in the middle of a Disney World amusement park? If we built a house for you in the middle of the park, would you take up free residence there? You could come and go as you please. You could do, or not come and go as you please. You could live there, have free access to everything in the amusement park. I don't know about you, but that doesn't really sound like fun. I have a strict 9 p.m. bedtime. I'm going to have some definite rules on the loudness zone, definite rules on the $4 water bottles. That is for sure. So I need to change up my environment in order for me to stay there. So that's kind of the same thing with our gut bugs. So sure, we can take probiotics, we can use these supplements, and we will literally have those organisms in because we're taking them in a supplement form. 
But in order for them to stay, we need to make sure that our environment is fostering, encouraging them to want to stay. So this is just like that Disney World. If you had just free park passes, maybe you didn't live there, but you had free park pass to come and go now as you please, then I'm sure you would probably make the most of it and you would be there and you would enjoy your time, but then you'd be happy to leave and to go back to the safety of your own home. It's kind of the same thing again with these probiotics. We can't always completely re-inoculate them just by taking them. So this is where, kind of circling back to some of those food things, where we need to make sure that our environment whether it's the literal environment when we are going to eat, again, to get in that rest and digest phase, or if it's going to be our food choices that are going to give them the appropriate, we need to make sure that we are getting enough variety in our food sources so that way we can feed a variety of those good gut bugs. So sure, we can take a probiotic. Sure, they will be there. Will they stay as soon as you stop taking that probiotic? I don't know. Does that mean you need to take a probiotic for the rest of your life? Absolutely not. Again, there's plenty of food sources that we can get them coming in as well. Okay, so we just unpacked a lot about digestion and absorption and food and everything in between. <laughs> so let's just do a quick summary to kind of wrap up this episode today. We covered a lot, so I don't want to talk too much and take up too much time um, kind of throwing all of this content at you. So, digestion begins in the brain. It's important to allow your brain engage and start digestion there. We need to chew our food to make sure that it is appropriately broken down and ready for then our stomach and our intestines to take over. We have to take our food and break it down into things so that it can be sent off. Again, people talk about how you are what you eat. We literally are what we eat. We are the proteins. Our muscles make up the protein. Blah, 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 blah. The proteins in our muscles come from the proteins that we eat in our food. So, again, stomach breaks it down. Intestines, some breaking down, but mostly absorbing. There can be some things that can go wrong with absorption. Again, if we're having some issues with leaky gut, too much can be absorbed, essentially. Too big of things can be absorbed, and that can have some negative consequences down the line. We talked about probiotics and prebiotics. We talked about the gut bugs and that they eat things talked about those food sources of probiotics and prebiotics again a lot of variety in our plant things and any of those um, either cultured products or fermented and then we talked about just some general supportive things overall for our digestive health so the impact of fiber the impact of water the impact of stress if you want to go down a deeper rabbit hole when it comes to digestion, do not hesitate to reach out and let me know if you want more information or if you have questions about your own digestion and if you feel like you have some areas of opportunity. Um, I am happy to help in whatever way that I can. Feel free to find me here at FLD when you come in for your next session um, or my email is nourishtoflourish.fld at gmail.com. And I look forward to seeing you again in the next nutrition episode. Now that you know better, let's go out and do better so we can all be better.